Today, Entrepreneur House listeners, Paul Levine is on our show. Paul is the creator and founder of EverWebApp.com, a code-free website builder that lets users build websites with ease. He specializes in app development, app marketing, online marketing, SEO, team building, outsourcing, and website development. He has been in business for 16 years and developed a team that operates in Ukraine, India, Romania, San Francisco, and Amsterdam. Paul is an avid world traveler and true digital nomad. In 2015, he visited and lived in 15 different countries, running a location-independent business and managing his team during this time. Paul is originally from Canada and has spent a lot of time participating in the Entrepreneur House activities. Paul, welcome to the show. Uh, Thanks, Chris. Great to be here. So, buddy, we want to get to know you, since you're going to be at the Entrepreneur House in Chiang Mai this year, about your business expertise and how you got started in business and what it is exactly you do. So, it's been a long time, as you mentioned. I started when I was around 12 or 13. My dad got me a MacBook, um, no, PowerBook. It was a PowerBook back then. It was right around the time Apple was in a in a place where they were either going to go out of business or even maybe get bought out by Microsoft. This was a long time ago. Mm-hmm. And so my dad bought me this computer, and my older brother had told me that I should learn how to write software. He gave me a programming environment. He said, you should learn how to do it. And I tried at first, and it was really, really difficult that I gave up. Uh, and but it was a couple of weeks later that I thought it would be really cool if I could actually create some type of app or something like that, some type of, well, back then, just software and application. And so I just started really working on it and just playing with it. And I got kind of addicted to developing software. For me, it was the problem-solving aspect of it that was really, really interesting. Uh-huh. So I just kept going at it and... Back then, I created a product called Macintosh Explorer, which was like the Windows Explorer file manager, but for the Mac. So right away, I think just with the name, it became really, really popular. Back then, marketing software was, the market was a lot smaller, but it was a little bit easier. So I could go to websites. The biggest one that the biggest one was download.com, but that was more for Windows. There's a couple for the Mac. And I just posted my software up on there, uh, and I had a sign-up form on my website. I didn't really know what I was doing, uh, but I set up a store where people could buy my software, and I put it up there as a beta product. And on the first weekend that I had put it up there, I think I got something like like twenty or thirty thousand dollars, twenty or thirty thousand downloads, not dollars. I wish wow. it was dollars. Wow. Twenty or thirty thousand downloads, and it became one of the most popular downloads on that on these websites. And every time I released an update, it became one of the most popular websites, so one of the most popular downloads. And so obviously that gave me a lot of motivation to continue. And then I put up, um, so I had my store and I put up a, a, a store so people could buy the beta version. And I sold it for $10 at the time. And I remember the first time I had, I had started making sales. And it was really cool because I was selling to people all over the world. It wasn't just in the States. I remember, I think my first customer was in Europe. And how old were you at this uh, and, time, Paul? I was 13. <laughs> nice. And, and nobody believed me. That's the thing. Like Nobody in my family believed that I was making any money. And the payment processor would pay you once a month. Mm-hmm. So I remember I would come downstairs and I would say, oh, I made $10 or I made $100. And nobody believed me. And the other problem was that the payment processor 
there was a problem with my address, so they didn't pay me, and I had to call them and sort everything out. Mm-hmm. So finally, they paid me, and I got my first check, which was in U.S. dollars. And back then, the U.S. dollar was one U.S. dollar was I think around one dollar and fifty cents Canadian. So it ended up being a couple thousand dollars that I got at thirteen, and my entire family, my extended family, were just kind of in disbelief. I think because. <laughs> I was a very quiet kid, and I didn't really do anything, and they didn't know what I was doing with the computer, and they're just surprised to see that, you know, they, they thought that I was, I was just being crazy. They had no idea what I was talking about, but I brought this check back, and from that, like, instantly, it was like, okay, he is actually doing something. He's, you know, he, he is doing something, so, so that was my first experience, and and yeah, that's and then from there, I just got some ideas to make different kind of software products. I created um, a website, an HTML editor, mm-hmm. which was pretty popular back in the day. And then from there, I created SEO software for Mac. And back then, nobody was making SEO software. I created a product that created XML sitemaps, which is what's used, which is how you can submit your website to Google and kind of give it some information about your website. Yeah. And I didn't have any competitors for, for years, like at least five or six years. I was the only Mac software that let you do that. Wow. So, so yeah. So, and then from, from there, um, I created a free product for Apple had a website builder at the time called iWeb. So I created a free, uh, basic SEO software for iWeb because it worked in a specific way that didn't allow it to work with other SEO products. So I created something specifically for iWeb, and I gave it for free. So if you had called Apple and asked them, how do I get my iWeb site into search engines, they would refer you to me. So I created a rather large mailing list and a big user base using this product in the hopes that they would buy my other software. And when Apple discontinued iWeb, I created EverWeb, which was kind of a replacement for EverWeb, but a more professional replacement. So it was targeted towards business users, whereas iWeb was more targeted towards towards a, a personal blog, right. you know, a, a slideshow if you want to show off your family vacations. But EverWeb was more for, for business users. So that kind of brings, brings me to where I am today. So how long ago did you create EverWeb? EverWeb started... In 2011, I believe I had outsourced the core of it to another to another company to to develop it for me, mm-hmm. and then I took it over. And it took it actually took a lot longer than I expected. Creating a website development tool that will allow people to to generate a website that, that looks exactly as they've designed it when they're just dragging and dropping text and images is very difficult to get re- to get right on desktop browsers and also mobile mobile browsers but you know i remember i I heard this quote one time if if you if you had known how much work it would actually take to where you would get today would you actually do it and had i known how much work it would have taken i don't know how motivated i would have been (laughs) to actually do it but you know if you kind of think about it in small steps it it's probably much better i mean i'm really happy with the position i'm in now and that i did go through that whole process but it was a lot of work to get finished yeah, I feel the same. You know, I'm, I've been an entrepreneur more or less nearly 10 years. And if you would have told me the workload beforehand, that what it would have taken, I would have been like, uh, you know, maybe I should get a job. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. 
someone else's responsibility if everything fails or if the customers are angry. Yeah, and that's not to steer any way, anybody away from being an entrepreneur, but, you know, as part of being an entrepreneur. And, and not everybody, I, I guess, has such a massive workload, but it's a lot of work. Sort of it's a lot of work and, and risk, but I think mm-hmm. that the risk, the reward will, can... Um, the, 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 the reward can overpower the risk, and it's definitely worth it. Absolutely, because the reward is infinite, right? And, I mean, we both have pretty good lifestyles where we live different places around the world, and you live in 15 countries in one year, and I, <laughs> I pick five. <laughs> five, only five. Yeah. So I want to go back, Paul, to, okay, you're 13 years old, and your brother talked you into learning how to build software. And so you're, I'm guessing it was an older brother? Yeah, my older brother. And was he into the same thing? He, he, was, he has a web hosting company, and he's been doing this for a, lot, for a long time. He, he, he's helped me a lot because we also do web hosting. So the, what makes my product unique, and what definitely made it unique when I first started, was, it was it's a desktop website builder that's integrated into a web hosting platform. And he helped me set up this web hosting, the whole web hosting platform. And, you know, he has a lot of experience in it. So, so yeah, he helped me do that. That's, he, he has a web hosting company, and he also had a web development company back, back in the day. He does it a bit now, but, but my family has always been very entrepreneurial. My dad has his own company. My younger brother's always starting new things. My sister started a, has started a, uh, a cake, a cake uh, baking uh, company, and she makes these really, really awesome cakes. So I think we're kind of maybe born with the, or maybe used to the idea of working for ourselves rather than getting a traditional job. That's cool. So growing up uh, and when you were young, did you, did you and your family talk a lot about business, like at the dinner table or just in casual conversation? I think it was more that seeing that my father always always had his own business, it was just more of, of a normal thing that you can start your own business. Mm-hmm. When I started my business and I was and, and I and and I was kind of when I was trying to grow it, especially while I was was younger, uh, I would definitely go over certain things with my with my father and my brothers. And so we would have a lot of in depth conversations about where we are and and what can you do and especially what can you do if everything fails yeah you know what 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 are you going to do if apple goes out of business for example because at the time that was that could have happened this is before the ipod and you know that could have happened or what would you do if apple copied your product because apple copies a lot of products i there's this one guy that that i have worked with he apple had copied Pretty much stole two of his his applications, and they they stole one of them yeah. and they integrated into the system. And then he released another product the day before Apple released the exact same product at their at their keynote in San Francisco. Wow! And and so yeah, I think always having that paranoia that you need a backup plan mm-hmm. is good and it's bad. But you know, if kind of you take. You take care of, of, of the downside, you know, the upside might not take care of itself, but you just, you, you know that you're not going to, you just got, have to make sure that you're not going to lose everything. Yeah, that makes sense. Because I kind of grew up, I'm always amazed with entrepreneurs, you know, you started at a really young age, 
we had Neha Gupta on the show, and she's also from a family of entrepreneurs, and she started pretty, you know, in her teens also. I'm blown away because me growing up, what we talked about at our dinner table was um, finding a good job, going to college, um, becoming a doctor or a lawyer, and doing something that you really enjoy football, doing. Football, too. Football, definitely. Rodeo, yeah. and, and rodeo <laughs> and farming and this sort of farming, thing. Farming, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I see people that grew up in entrepreneurial families and they're almost naturally born, not born, but just ingrained in them to, to become entrepreneurs. And it's um, it's a big head start, I think, because, you know, you're 13-year-old entrepreneur, right? Like, that's phenomenal. I wasn't thinking about any type of business when I was 13. I don't know what you guys were doing, Paul. I don't, I don't know. I don't, you know, I kind of just really liked the idea of building software. Yeah. I just had it in my mind that if I could build something, it would be really cool. And after I started doing it, the problem solving aspect of it was, was so interesting to me. I would always have the, I was always a really bad programmer and I'm not a really good one now, but I think that the output is, is what matters. You know, it's, it's interesting because a lot of programmers get very emotional about the development environment that they use. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it's, it has to be this one's a little bit faster or this or, or whatever. And, and that doesn't really matter. I think it's, you have, to do, you have to have the right tool for the job. And a lot of people just will say, oh, you're using this tool or this framework. You know, that's, that's you know, who would use that? That's not cool. Yeah. But you really have to kind of just use the right tool for the, you just use what, even if it's just what you know, if it's not the right tool, if it's what you know and can work with, right. you know, even now I use PHP, whereas a lot of people would be, would say, why would you use PHP when there's all these other stuff? I know PHP and I'm very familiar with it and yeah. it's still very good, you know, but, but yeah. So what would happen? What would you do, Paul, if like everything got wiped out and you, you were reset at zero and you had to build something else to make money? What, think, what would you do? I think about that every day. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, because the thought of loss is, the thought of loss for everybody, I think, is, is, is very, is, is very, um, is very strong. And, you know, people are really afraid of losing things rather than getting something. Right. You know, and a lot of people use that in their marketing, you know, act now before the offer's gone or whatever. Mm-hmm. But the thought of loss always bothers me because I think that I found something that I'm really, that I enjoy doing, that I can do well, and that allows me to live a very good lifestyle. And the thought of losing that is very scary. So I do think about that. And if I, if I were to lose, my strategy would probably be in the short term Mm -hmm. to find a very successful product. So whether it's something like, like a Shopify, MailChimp, or something that is less well known, but is really popular. You know, I always think that you have to find those. You have to find those markets that are so uninteresting to talk about, but people rely on them so much. Mm-hmm. You know, and so, and so, you know, there's such a good opportunity there. But you know, no one. It's not the next trendy thing. It's just something that will always consistently be there. Right. And so, what I would try to find is is some type of existing product. And I would probably go to their user forum uh, or if their discussion forum if they had one and see what the customer, see what features the customers want mm-hmm. but haven't been added or see or find the most popular add-on and see what people 
like about it or really don't like about it because most of the time, if you create an add-on today, it's going to be outdated next year or in two years. It needs to be completely, completely reworked. And so I'd probably look, I'd probably go to their forums, go to their feature requests, sort by the most viewed or popular forum posts, and I would see what feature people are missing, mm-hmm. and I would get that built, and then I would market to those customers. I would first probably release it for free, depending on how, on how much money I need at the time or how desperate I am, and maybe add and provide some type of service, whether it's a support service or something like that. But I would, I would release it for, I would re- release as much as I could for free to build them, to build an audience, to build, um, to build a mailing list. And then I would kind of put everything together either in some type of pro package or come up with a better idea that would be more useful. Because once you kind of get into the industry, you'll start to realize what people are missing and it'll be much easier to get those ideas of what you need to build in order to, what you need to build that you can charge a lot of money for. Right. And so once I did that, I would work, I would, I would, I would definitely outsource all of this. That's another thing is that I would never get into the development again. I would be a much better, I would try to be a much better uh, product manager than a developer. Mm -hmm. And that means properly spec. Like I think that most people who complain about their employees, especially their outsource employees, not providing what they want or not working hard enough or whatever it might be is not because almost always it's not because they're bad employees. It's because you're a bad manager Mm. almost always. And that's what I see in myself. Like I've seen people who are amazing, amazing managers and their specs and how they manage their people is, is in a different league than what I've ever seen. Cause I've, I've been on both sides. I've done some freelance work a long, long time ago for people who needed websites and I know how people just say, oh, I want this, and they can't really explain it, and whatever it might be. And I do, and I have done that too, and I probably do that sometimes as well. But you need to be a really, really, really good project manager. I would say that that's probably one of the, that's a really important skill to have. And so I would focus on managing the development of these add-ons or product integrations. I think one of the best things you can do is integrate two products together, because mm-hmm. then you have two markets that you can go after very easily, and usually the company who develops these products is more than happy to provide to market your stuff, especially if it's free. And if you can provide something for free with some type of add-on service or in the future, some type of pro version or some type of other service that your existing customers would want, you, you know, the, the marketing is so much easier and you can really build a community so much quicker that way. How long do you think that process would take you, Paul? I think that I, if... Depends on how hard I work <laughs> and how and how quickly I'm moving around. But I would say that I would spend um, two or three weeks probably doing my research. So probably selecting a couple products that are popular enough. You know, I wouldn't select, for example, I wouldn't select a WordPress. WordPress is too popular. There's too many people doing stuff for it, and and you have to release the add-ons as open source. I mean, you could do them other ways, but generally the plugins for WordPress are open source. But I wouldn't look at something that is the most popular, but I look for something that is either getting very popular, becoming very popular, uh, is but is not yet mainstream. Mm-hmm. So I would look at maybe like the top person in an industry and see who their competitors are, and maybe go for the second or third person. Just you know, just for now, because people who, for example, need an invoicing platform, they are going to need they'll need other other business related products also. So. You have the option to create add-ons for 
you know, a lot of different products. But anyways, I would probably spend a couple weeks, two or three weeks, actually trying to research and find out which products I want to build add-ons for and which add-ons I want to build. Mm -hmm. And then from there, I would spend a, a, long, a, a long time, a couple more weeks, actually specking out what I want to, to build. And I would create a really, really good spec. And then from there, I would post it up on a website like Upwork or whatever or any freelance website. The point is to make your spec so good that it doesn't really matter who, who, who does it. If, you know, they can look at your spec and they know everything that has to be done. So any even mediocre programmer could get it done. Um, and while that's happening, I, 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 would, I would think before I, even, before I even started development, I would think about my marketing opportunities. Uh, well, of course, how big the market is, how much money I could potentially make from it, and how I can reach these people easily. So whether it might be Google AdWords, which is okay, but I'd rather do it in a more, in a more organic way. Mm -hmm. So I'd rather do it for a product that I'm familiar with so that I could join the forums and I could help other people and build up my reputation. And that takes a long time, but I would do that while I'm getting my product developed. Um, I'd also plan out my marketing strategy at the same time because I think the, a, a, a huge thing is not just getting a product developed, but the marketing plan, you know, what you're going to do after you have that product and how you're going to get it out there is, is more important than the development, really, you know, because if no one buys it, obviously, it's not useful. So I would think about really how I'm going to market it, what my strategy is going to be, and... I would definitely want it for, for my paid option. I would definitely want to do something that was subscription based. Mm -hmm. um, and then after that, I would probably assume, depending on how large it is, one to four months would be my would be my guideline for what development would take. And then, of course, whatever I thought it would take, I would add fifty percent to that because it's probably what it is going to take in reality. And and so yeah, I think that I could probably start getting a couple hundred to a couple thousand dollars a month. Within two months, and then probably a lot more within within six months to a year, I would hope. Nice. But my plan is actually, to, I actually have a plan to follow these steps because I have an idea that I would like to work on and I want to see how well I can actually pull it off. When are you going to start that? I've actually already started it because I'm going to create add-ons for something that I already use and I already have somebody creating that is because I need them actually for my own business and I know that other people will need them also for their business. So my plan now, because I mean the trend for website builders is there's a lot of competition now, a lot. And I have a unique niche that is really, really good for me. But as I said before, I kind of, I would like to be diversified. And so I, what I, what I want to do is get these new ads developed and see if these other ideas and opportunities that I have are viable. Incredible, man. That's awesome. I want to talk a little bit, Paul, about the, the team that you have. How big is your team now? Now, there's about three permanent people, plus the, the team in Ukraine. Uh, I, have, I just hired somebody to work on these other projects that I have, and I have a team... That also has been working on another feature for my product. That They're working on about half the feature, and I'm working on the other half. 
And, and how many people is that, more or less? Nine. So can you tell us a little bit? I want to talk about team building and managing people remotely. And you've done it. How many years have you been doing that now? Remotely managing team, I would say about four years, I would say. And what are some like major takeaways that you've got gotten from building a team internationally and remotely? Well, either you have to have somebody really smart which is expensive or you have to be monitoring your your team all the time okay for me our team like my support team is amazing my i mean our, the communication with slack is really good also you know these services the way that my my company is set up now the companies that i use are really really good you know, I could send an email to somebody and they could just take care of it. Mm-hmm. So there could be, there's, there's people that I think I overpay. I mean, not overpay. I would say overpay in the sense that you could get somebody cheaper. But the people that I have are really, really, really good. And I trust them. I'll, I trust, I, I trust, I mean, there, there, there's one that I really, really trust. And, you know, you can't always be looking for the cheapest price when you're outsourcing. Mm-hmm. You know, you want smart people, but you also need to be a good manager. In that sense, we are usually in contact as much as we can be. Um, I mean, we're always in contact on Slack. I always have my my phone with me if needed. I, I can, you know, go away if I if I need to. Mm-hmm. But you know, like I'm always kind of available, which which is you know unique in the last couple years and what kind of gives me the opportunity to be anywhere is that you can kind of arrive in any country and have high speed internet any pretty much anywhere and and so yeah the constant communication having a direction and a plan and having smart people that you could trust i think trust is is really important is are are some are some really are are some keys to managing a, a remote team I think from what I've heard too, it takes some time to kind of find people you trust. So did you find them, um, you know, your first try or did it take you a while to kind of weed out some people or how'd that work for you? Well, I mean, I've had some bad hires and I kind of, you know, in my gut knew that some of them are really bad. Um, I had one guy that I actually did trust a lot and he had done a lot of work for me and I wanted to bring him on full time and we had this three months trial and he was a complete, complete disaster for me. <laughs> complete. But you know, one, one of the other, one of the other, one of the other, uh, employees was a, was a very, very good friend of mine who we worked together. You know, he was always interested, always interested in computers and we worked together on some other projects. And then he was started to do some kind of, you know, freelance work for me. And then I was just, you know, kind of said, I'll bring you on full time and you know learn this and 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 you know start doing these tasks um and so yeah so we had like i mean it's just someone that i've trusted for my whole life so i don't know if i kind of got lucky in that sense that i had somebody i I knew somebody who was interested in, in in tech stuff and who was a very very good friend and a very honest person with a good with a good with very good integrity yeah um, and also, um, one of my new kind of part-time hires is that's just kind of starting out now is, is a, is a user of mine who is very passionate and very smart and very, very passionate about the product and very smart. So, so he's been really good and I'm 
training him to take on more and more roles now. Um, but I think that the systems that I have in place have really allowed me to... I believe in automating everything that you can, not with people, but with technology. Mm-hmm. So almost everything that I need done is automated. And when there's something that's not that can't be done easily or isn't automated, um, I, 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 I find a way to get it done. I, I think almost every, almost nothing, well, there are some things that take human intervention, but there's so many things that we've cut out requiring someone to actually do. And my tech background, I think, is good for that. Uh, is really, really good for that, being able to identify what I need to automate and how I can get that automated. And so, yeah, I think automating everything using technology, using my computer or whatever systems I have in place has really helped. And instead of trying to change what's, exist- what's out there to, to conform to how I want to do business, sometimes you have to change you know, your business to what is out there to make things easier. It may not be the cheapest way to do it, but it's the most efficient, I think. Nice. Excellent, man. So we're going to Thailand. For a month. Going to Thailand, again. Why are you excited about going to Thailand? Putrian Pasa Thai. <laughs> which means? I said that right. Which means? The study from Thai. Yeah. We're going to be at the Entrepreneur House for a month also. I'm very excited. Um, last year was a lot, was a lot of fun. Um, the excursions that you, that you organized were, were, were definitely a lot of fun. And working in Thailand, it's a very comfortable life. Yeah. You know, you... I love walking. I just like wandering and walking and also doing some exercises. And they have, you know, they have their modern gyms. Well, the place you have has its own gym. And then you just get your $5 massage for an hour. Uh, we did that a bunch of times. Yeah. And uh, smoothie blues for breakfast. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah. yeah. And oh, the high-speed internet. Um, you, get the, you get one of the SIM cards from AIS, I think it is. And you get the super Wi-Fi spots. Mm-hmm. At all the Wowies, I think they're called Wowies, and some of the other. Just as you're walking by, you just have you just have this super Wi-Fi. So you have really fast Wi-Fi. You have amazing, amazing food. There's a mustache pad Thai is what. I, did you ever come with us for mustache pad Thai? I don't think so. So mustache pad Thai. He was always right outside smoothie uh, smoothie blues at night this, mm-hmm. by the Seven Eleven. And he made the best pad thai. And his name was Mustache Pad Thai because he had a very funny mustache. <laughs> and and yeah, he he made the best pad thai. And, and so yeah, so I'm definitely looking forward to that. Mango sticky rice. And just to meet new people. I think we, we had there was a lot of people that came up there after DCBKK. Mm-hmm. We had a very, very good group of people. There was a lot of really good meetups. Mm-hmm. And it's just it's a very easy it's a very comfortable life you have everything you need for very cheap everything's very cheap mm-hmm. and you just have every, you have everything you need good people good food good places for hiking if you want to get a little bit out of the city good places for really anything you know exercise very comfortable high quality life very comfortable high quality yes mm-hmm. um, I think you know I've lived in multiple countries all over the world and you too but for me Chiang Mai is one of my uh, most comfortable places anywhere even more so than my hometown because it's everything so easy and so convenient and they're very service oriented there in thailand which makes it uh, you know they're like okay uh, what can we do for you even more so than in states or canada 
you know, and it just makes every life really nice. And it's extremely safe too. I'm blown away that people put their helmets on their scooters and just leave it there at the mall parking lot and nobody steals anybody's helmets. Like it's crazy. Yeah. I mean, I've never had a problem. I walk around all, you know, I'd walk around two or three in the morning, just anywhere in the city. And I've never, I've never ever had any type of problem. Never even thought about it. Never even thought about if something could happen. And, and yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely very comfortable and very, just a very easy life. What are some of the excursions we did last year? We went cave exploring. We went to Doisutep, which is a temple on top of a mountain. Um, what else? Did your, did your good luck come true? You, you, you got sprinkled with water for good luck. Oh, yeah. I got, had a blessing by a Buddhist monk. Yeah, of course it came true. Of course, yeah. <laughs> You're coming back this year. That was my good luck. There you go. <laughs> and we walked up the 300 steps. Yeah. You have, to, you have to count as you walk up. Went to the night markets. The, oh, yes. The, the Thursday night market on the south side, I think it yeah. was. Really, really good. Yeah. Yeah, and no, we, but they kept on running out of that meal. You guys had that meal. I think I went twice, and she always ran out of that meat. Yeah. And it looked really good. I can't remember what it was. but It was yeah. delicious. And the smoothie, the smoothie woman with the hat. Yes, the most popular smoothie woman in all of northern Thailand, for sure. And the Muay Thai fights. Yeah, those were cool, too. I forgot about those. We did a little gambling during our, the Muay Thai fights. Oh, yeah. Who, who won? I think did I did. Man. No, Parush. I don't know Parush. somebody did. <laughs> Yes, um, are you going to do anything different this year in Thailand? Yeah, I think I would like to explore a little bit outside of Chiang Mai a little bit more. You can, you could take the city is actually really big, but everyone everyone kind of lives either by uh, Maya Mall or by the old by old quarter. Mm-hmm. And I think the city is actually really big, and you could just take your bike and go out and get some really really good food and try something new and kind of get away from. I want to say touristic areas, but it's not overwhelmingly touristic. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's okay. I'm going to practice my Thai again because I really had fun doing that. And I'm going to probably take some Muay Thai classes. I will be continuing my Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. So maybe we can find a gym that has both Muay Thai and BJJ. And then we fight at the end of the month. Yeah, we see which art is really the better one. That's a good idea. Yeah. Um, and of course we'll get our two or three weekly massages. I think we, I think we have to up that this year. Okay. Four or five. Yes. Or six or seven or eight. Yes. (laughs) Um, I I have to take you though, Paul, to the Thai doctor lady that gives a two hour massage. And it was, it was, it was more expensive. I think it was like 35 bucks, but she also, it's like massages. Yeah. But it's like a chiropractor, um, and a Thai doctor and a a masseuse at the same time. And she literally hangs from the rafters and like walks on all different parts of your body. And it was so, it was incredibly euphoric. Um, and painful at the same time, but it felt so good. Then she cracks your back, you know, and straightens up your spine and all these fun things. So, wow, I'll, I'll take you there. I think we'll do some cooking classes at the Entrepreneur House in Chiang Mai this year. Definitely go cave exploring again and whatever else comes about. We'll wrap up the, the, the Thailand part. Paul, I want to do a quick rapid fire round so that people can kind of get into your brain one last time and then we'll close the show. So are you ready? Sounds good, yes. Okay, drum roll. Paul Levine, what is your favorite book? My favorite book 
I really I read this book uh, a couple months ago. It was called uh, I think it's called The Summer, and it was about America during the night during the first transatlantic flight, and it was very very interesting because the the author was very good and he just described what the lifestyle was like, and there was at the time you know there was there was the home run race. There was the invention of, or the 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 radio and the TV starting to, starting to become mainstream in in the U.S. and in North America, and it was interesting. One thing was interesting was how people feared the the airwaves of the radio, <laughs> just like we fear kind of of the of the of the phone, right? And you know nobody nobody thinks about radio anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was it was just it was just really 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 interesting. He talked about um, I can't remember that. That drug dealer who got who got arrested, they they caught him on tax evasion, not on drug dealing. Okay, I can't remember. His, it was about Italian mafia. I can't remember. I can't remember. Uh, I, I'm I'm just forgetting the name. But it was it was this this it was a woman who held the highest possible the highest position that a woman had ever held at the time in the in in the government, and she came up with the idea to get him on tax evasion. So now in America, if you if you you can you can fill out your tax forms. You don't have to say how you made the money. You just have to say how much money you had. Mm-hmm. And I think it was because of this reason. Oh, sorry, how much money you made? And I think it was because of this. So you could you know you 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 could de- you can't get you could declare all the money you've made. Let's say from some illegal activity, mm-hmm. and you wouldn't get in trouble from the IRS for evading taxes. You can only get in trouble for obviously doing that illegal activity. But it was really, really interesting because it was the first time it had, it had ever been done. It was very creative. And, and, and yeah, I just thought that was a very interesting story. So the, the, the book is just, just ties together all these different events that happened back then, the, like, like how people lived, you know, how they, they, they were, there was racism towards, towards Italians and Irish and the Irish back then. And, you know, now obviously we still have racism in different ways and it's kind of, you know, it's always been there and, our lifestyles kind of haven't changed. We just have new stuff, maybe. Sounds like a great read. I actually finished a book based on your recommendation from last year, Escape from Camp 14. Yes. And uh, great, great read. Thanks for referring that. That Next book is very interesting. Yeah. Next question. What is your favorite movie? My guilty pleasure or my real favorite movie? Guilty pleasure. Uh, uh, I don't know if I want to admit this. Okay, uh, real, real favorite. Real favorite movie. Oh, that's a that's that's a tough one. And I really really like thrillers, and I've been getting into these independent thrillers, uh, independent movies that I w- that I've been watching, and just any movie that kind of makes me think. There was one movie, I forget what it's what the name was, but it was the 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 the, the students were in a class, and the teacher the teacher had asked them. It was a philosophy class, and he said, "The world is going to end." You have a bunker for that fits ten people, and there's twenty one people here, and everybody had to pick a piece of paper out of a box with a with a job title on it, and based on that job title, they had to decide who they would keep and who they wouldn't keep. <laughs> and then after the second time they did it, he said, "Open up this piece of paper, and in the paper it has something else." So it was like, "This is a female doctor, but she cannot have babies." So does that change the? Does that change if you would take her or not? Or or one was she was a nurse, but she had just been exposed to Ebola last week, and she doesn't know if she has it or not. So, and they, obviously she can't be quarantined in this bunker. So it was it really kind of made you think. And those type of movies, I really like these movies that kind of question your beliefs or kind of question what you would do in very difficult situations and make you think about that. What was the name of that movie? 
I got I got to look for it. It was an independent movie. Um, I can't remember the name right now. I just watched it a couple weeks ago. Um, I'll have to find it for you and, and, and send it. Yeah, we can put it in the show notes. Okay, next question. Who do you consider the most successful person that you personally know? I personally know. Yeah. That's a good question. I would need, I need a lot more time for this. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if I had to describe the person rather than actually pick someone that I knew, I would say somebody who is just, you know, before I always wanted to make more money. I mean, even now I kind of, you know, want to make more money. I want to be better. Every day I want to be better. I want to be able to speak more languages or be able to run faster or lift more. And I kind of have this problem where I'm never content with where I'm at. And people always kind of say that to me, like, slow down. Just, just be happy with what you have, and I really should be. You know, I think that I have that that I have a lot to be thankful for and a lot to be grateful for. And you always talk a lot about being grateful for stuff, and and you know, I kind of never do that. So I think somebody who who can really appreciate where they are in life and really appreciate what they have. You know, just just you know, you don't need more all the time. So I would say if anybody who can just really appreciate where they are, because really. Anyone that has this opportunity to even listen to your podcast or go to Thailand is really in an amazing position. Yeah, you know, and you gotta—I have to kind of remind myself about that all the time, which I think is a very selfish, to tell you the truth. And you know, like you gotta be able to just appreciate this and and kind of see, you know, relative to almost the entire world, our lives are so good. So anyone who can really can control that and can be happy with where they are at. Mm-hmm. I would say is very successful. You know, you don't need to have more than you need. Yeah, you just need to just be happy. Which as corny maybe as that might sound, I just I would really respect somebody who who is just happy with where they are. I like that, and you know, I find myself doing the same thing. Um, I'm a pretty positive guy, but you know, when you you're always focused on the future and not having whatever goal you have in the future. It kind of puts you in the mentality of like, crap, you know, I'm not doing that good or I don't have what I really want. But then like you have to go back to that space where you're thinking, okay, we can work anywhere we want to around the world, travel pretty much anywhere we want to around the world. We have an incredible amount of freedom. And so I, I'm like you too, man. Like I have to cons- consistently remind myself of that over and over and over to just realize how, how fortunate we are. And, you know, not even to other people, but just to yourself maybe yeah. a couple of years ago and not even to what you have, but your thoughts too. Mm-hmm. You know, like, you know, like what were you thinking back then? What are you thinking now? What do you know now that you didn't know before? And I just think being like, so anyone who can really, who can really appreciate their, their life, I think that's a really good quality to have. Yeah, agreed. Okay, next question. If you could change one thing about the business world today, what would you change and why? One thing about the business world. We have a very, very fortunate situation. I think that business, the fact that business is hard, the fact that to be where we are and where successful people are is difficult is the best thing. And to look at it more of in a positive light that, I mean, if it was easy and everyone could do it, everybody would do it. And the fact that it's hard, the fact that you need to improve yourself, that you need to have this motivation, I think is really, really good. And doing this stuff is very, very hard. Learning how to create a website, market, manage, uh, manage not not only other people, but your state of mind, your happiness. Like, these are things that 
should be very, very difficult to do. And it's good that they are mm-hmm. because otherwise, you know, everyone would do it. And if they, and because it's hard, we have this, we can be in this unique position where we can have this freedom and have all the stuff that we need. So I can't think of anything specifically that I might want to want to change. Perhaps maybe, I mean, I don't know if this makes any sense to anyone, maybe just to me, but to take kind of the ego out of it and to just be like, you know, whether you've created a successful business or not, you're just kind of, you know, you're just, you've just, you've just done something great and you know it and you're just there to maybe help others and you don't have an ego about anything. I don't even know if that would make sense to anybody, but it kind of makes sense in my mind. So, Okay. That's a good answer. Okay, Paul, I want to thank you for coming onto the show and volunteering your time at the Entrepreneur House of Chiang Mai. And I want to, I want to thank you for participating in all the Entrepreneur House activities. It's been a pleasure having you along and getting to know you and becoming a friend. I have to thank you. Well, well. I thank you for including me in all these, in all these, uh, in all these activities, and for our time in in, uh, in Iowa. We didn't even get to talk about that. Yeah, we didn't talk about Iowa, but ask us in Chiang Mai about Iowa, and Paul will have tell you the most, probably one of the craziest travel stories he has. I think so. <laughs> that comes from Iowa. <laughs> and uh, thank you for being an advisor at the Entrepreneur House too, Paul. So we're all looking forward to a, an incredible month in Thailand. Quickly, can you tell the listeners where they could find you at if they want to contact you or learn more about EverWeb? If you want to learn more about EverWeb, everwebapp.com. To contact me, Facebook is probably the best way. So just Paul Levine on Facebook. Uh, or email paul at paullevine, two L's, P-A-U-L-L-E-V-I-N-E.com. And, and yeah, I'm always looking forward to meeting new people and looking forward to Thailand and seeing you again. Okay, that's a wrap for the show. And again, Paul, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you, Chris. The Entrepreneur House is a business accelerator for location-independent entrepreneurs. Imagine spending one month with other successful entrepreneurs building business in the world's most exotic locations. Day-to-day, you interact with other driven and smart business people. Spending an extended period of time around them alters your business and your mentality about business. Goals are set, business grows, new partnerships develop, greater profit margins are achieved, the productivity skyrockets for those staying in the Entrepreneur House, and you get to have an incredible adventure while doing it. For those of you that are interested, be sure to contact us through the entrepreneurhouse.com website. For now, saludos from somewhere in the world.